you're standing on the edge of a dark forest. It's terrifying because it's uncharted. You haven't been here before. And the life you desire exists on the other side. It's impossible to go around. And the only way to where you need to go is through. For many of us, this analogy is completely overwhelming. And possibly the reason why we don't even try. We set up camp and we live on the near side of fear or pain or whatever that forest represents. Even though the wisdom teachers will tell us that wisdom lies on the far side of these experiences. Sometimes we're thinking too big. We only want what will get us to the other side. It isn't that we need to think smaller. We just need to think better. We need to think different. Author Kate Bowler suggests that we need to change our thinking in moments like this instead of looking for the proverbial vine that if we can grab a hold of it, maybe it could swing us from, from this side of the forest to the other. Instead, we need to look for the closest vine that won't necessarily take us to the other side of this forest, but instead will take us farther in on our journey towards the other side. We need to be looking for the next important thing instead of escape. This is how we get through a difficult day. We bite it off into smaller pieces. In addiction, the thoughts of not using for the rest of your life seems like an impossibility. Of course it does. But biting it off into smaller pieces is achievable. Can you not drink for the next hour? Make that choice. Then in an hour, make another good choice. The next thing you know, it's lunchtime, it's dinner, and a day of sobriety has passed. This principle works across the board, not just with the struggle for, with substances, but with worry, with fear, even with faith. We need to bite off things in smaller pieces. It's how we can digest them. Jesus knew this. Some of his parables are two sentences long. He often used simplicity to describe what we've often complicated. Love and generosity and forgiveness, these aren't necessarily easy, but that doesn't mean that they can't be simple. Describing the kingdom of God seems like it would be complicated. Like, how do you do that? Sounds like a deeply theological concept, but Jesus plants this idea in soil. He places it in a pot of dough. He hides it in an oyster and believe it or not, confines it to the principles found in a tiny mustard seed. Many of his parables talk about the kingdom of God specifically, and it makes you wonder why he has to use almost a dozen stories to explain what it's like. Is it because it's that complicated? Or are our ideas so misguided that he has to interrupt them with provocative stories to introduce new ways of understanding big things? You see, for many, the kingdom of God, or, or interchangeably the kingdom of heaven, is a post-dated check. It's like where we go when we die. For others, they interpret these teachings of Jesus as a future reality that we can help usher in. The kingdom is coming, and all will be set to right. But there's another interpretation, that the kingdom of God is a present truth that is waiting to break through. It isn't another place to go or another time to wait for. Instead, it's another way of thinking now. 
when Jesus says in Mark's account that now is the time the kingdom of God is within reach, he's saying it's accessible, and there's an immediacy to his language. Now, to be fair, the Greek word that we've translated as kingdom really has no modern English equivalent. The word is basileia, which we get the word basilica. And basilica of God just doesn't do it. It means to be the realm under specific governance or rule. So in first century, they were expecting a geopolitical kingdom like they used to have under King David, a theocracy. It's the hope of the past. You can see why Jesus has to interrupt that thinking because it won't look like that. Or he would have used it as an example. So how do you reboot people's thinking about ideas like this when they've been programmed for so long in a certain way? Well, you talk about it in new ways. You use provocative language. You use hyperbole, exaggeration. And this is what Jesus does best. It grabs people's attention. He tells stories so beautiful they must be true whether or not they happened. Now, I don't think we're any different than his first listeners. We've been programmed to believe that the kingdom of God is merely a place you go to when you die, and to conceive of anything else is, is difficult. Now, I've thought a lot about this, and I think part of the reason is that for many Christians, they're having trouble finding God here, now, in the world. So for them, the desire is to escape, to leave, to be with God in his kingdom. But if you can find God here, now, in this world, then the incentive isn't to leave, to escape, but to be. To be here now. To join with God in something glorious that desires to break through. So let's listen as Jesus will describe what the kingdom of God is like. Here's a simple paraphrase of a couple of sentences he uses in Mark chapter 4, verse 30. How can we talk about the kingdom of God? What story shall we use to contain it? What if you imagine it as a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds you would sow in the garden, and yet, when planted, it can grow to become the largest of plants in the garden? In fact, it can grow such large branches that even the birds can nest in its shade. Now, that's a simple analogy, maybe even a bit ridiculous. Many skeptics have used this parable to try and discredit the wisdom of Jesus, saying the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed and doesn't grow into a tree, as Luke says in his version. Here in Mark, it's just a shrub or a garden plant. But if he's a wise sage, they say, he would know that. But the critics have already missed the point. I'm not going to get pulled into defending a story that's fiction, meant to capture our imagination. It's a, it's a, a simile. It's a metaphor. It's intended to be provocative, to stimulate our thinking. First things first, I'm stuck by the introduction of this story. What shall we say God's world is like? Now, I have some ideas. I have some suggestions. How about God's world, God's kingdom is like the majestic mountains, overshadowing, immovable, mighty, or perhaps the cedars of Lebanon, tall, strong, imposing, or perhaps the mighty ocean, vast, encompassing, enveloping. Well, Jesus wants us to see God's world like yeast in a woman's bowl that she hides in an amount of flour, or like a field full of weeds, or like a mustard seed 
seems almost underwhelming, absurd. God's world, God's kingdom is like mustard, but it gets worse. It's like a mustard seed that a man sows in his garden, a tiny little seed, yet it grows into such a large shrub that it can give shade to the birds. Jesus infers it's the smallest of seeds that one might plant or one might sow in a garden and that it grows so big. Is this what Jesus is talking about? Small and insignificant has an important role in this analogy that he's, he's trying to drive home? It's a common theme in his teaching. The first will be last, Jesus will say. The meek will inherit the earth. Tax collectors can be disciples. Former prostitutes can be followers. The wealthy and the poor can play a part. The diseased, the possessed, the lame can know and experience the world of God faster than priests and the religious. Maybe that's it. Perhaps, though, the provocative idea is that the obnoxious mustard that grows like a weed and is often perceived as such is also, ironically, a healing herb. Or perhaps another interpretation is that it provides shade and rest to the birds of the air, an allusion to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish community, finding hope in this kingdom. These are all various interpretations, but perhaps we don't just have to pick one. What if all of those ideas and more are buried in it? For me, what I pull away from this parable is the idea that God's extraordinary world, his loving, grace-filled world, is hidden within ours in unsuspecting places and ways. Perhaps the reason why Jesus keeps telling his listeners what God's world looks like is so they'll recognize it. Because God's world is buried in ordinary things. Actually, it's planted in ordinary things. The kingdom of God is like mustard. Of course, God's world is like the mountains. Of course, it's like the sun rising on a new day, casting out the shadows before it, or the moon illuminating the darkness. Of course, the kingdom of God is like the cedars of Lebanon, the oceans. These are magnificent. They cry out. You can't look upon them and declare the world isn't good. It is. But if you can find God's world, God's kingdom, in mustard, in yeast, in a field of dirt and weeds, then you can find it anywhere. Imagine if we not only experienced God in our filet mignon, but also in our mustard. Last spring, I was with a man in his mid-60s who said he wanted so bad to find God in this world, but just didn't know where to start looking. He said, I just don't know where to begin. Now, to me, it's a common theme that I hear again and again amongst those searching desperately for a connection to God, to experience a glimpse of some divine reality, a taste of life, where love wins, where hope is brighter than despair, where our thoughts don't have to be the final word, where pain and suffering don't have to be the final word either. But my friend is having trouble because he doesn't know where to begin to look, he says. How can I see, how can I catch a glimpse of this magnificent idea that God and God's world are here all around me waiting to break through? Well, it starts when we open our eyes every morning. Welcome to God's world. It means we've been invited into God's life. Faith is about understanding that. Faith is not about inviting God into your life. Who do we think we are? 
The idea isn't found in the Gospels or in Scripture. Instead, it talks about ideas of of being in Christ or living in God's heart. This is what salvation is all about, about waking up to the divine. It isn't about putting God in your life. It's about finding God in your life. It's not about putting God in your heart. It's about finding God in your heart. That is the awakening. Then living in response to what you've discovered. When you choose to not only see a beautiful sunrise, but to look for it, when you look into the face of your coworker who is describing his messed up life and you have compassion, empathy, welcome to God's world. When those who serve your meal, your gas, those who deliver your dinner or take your order aren't just used, but thanked, appreciated, celebrated, you've welcomed the kingdom of God into this life and given them a taste of the next. And these glimpses won't just be for you, but for them too. Imagine when someone else catches a glimpse of God's preferred designed order in your kindness, your compassion, your apology, your forgiveness, your generosity, your patience, your willpower, your creativity, your bravery, your words, your silence, your suffering, your pain, your failure, as well as your success. When we stop looking for God only in one place, We can begin to find God in all places. You see, God's world is already here, buried in mustard seeds and bread dough and overgrown fields of weeds. Jesus tells the disciples what God's kingdom looks like so they won't miss it, because most likely they, like us, are looking for something completely different. Unfortunately, too many have stopped looking for God in mustard. Instead, they look for gold flakes falling from the ceiling in swollen wallets, in protection from disease or pain, searching for God only in our wins, not in our losses. We no longer find him in the yeast of our daily bread. We are looking up, believing God is only in the majestic, and we don't think to look into the ordinary, into the pedestrian, into the manger. But if we can find God in the ordinary, we can find him anywhere. If we can come to recognize that hope germinates from a seed. That peace and joy and love and forgiveness, all of these beautiful divine attributes of God's world begin in the smallest of places and grow. Not only does the apple seed contain the whole tree, the mustard seed contains the whole kingdom of God in principle. What seems insignificant can grow beyond imagination. And not just for the fruit of its branches, but also for the safety in its shade. Jesus is saying that God's world will take root in the small and insignificant places and desires to grow, break through. But God's beautiful, miraculous hope and beauty will be found between breakfast and dinner. Jesus tells us in the Gospels that the kingdom is already amongst us and inside us, planted as seeds waiting to germinate and grow. The kingdom isn't merely a place or another time. The kingdom of God is a possibility that love can bloom here, that hope can manifest now, that that fear can diminish in spite of terrible odds, that death and suffering don't have to be resisted, but can be transformed. We need to quit thinking that the kingdom is only about bigger when really it's about better. Are the small seeds of God's world trying to germinate in your life? So God's presence can not only produce fruit, but give your very existence meaning. 
because the beauty of the mustard plant in this parable is that it becomes a safe place for birds to nest, not just food for them to eat. <laughs>